This one's going out to all the ladies. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And welcome to your weekly little sweet treats of music knowledge. Starring us. Happy Women's Month! <laughs> Yay! Vaginas. <laughs> let's, let's just straight let's just open straight up with some vaginas. Everybody likes vaginas. Right? For the most part. I mean for the most part. I would say 95% like vaginas. Is that sure. a high number? That might be a high number. I don't care. That's I'm using okay. it. Sticking <laughs> to it. We're going with it. That's fine. Statistics science. (laughs) But since it's Women's History Month, we here decided we're going to do an entire month of podcasts about influential women in music. Yeah, bitches playing music. (laughs) These are the glitter. (laughs) You used into glitter? I am very into glitter. Speaking of women, yeah, Twisted Sister, <laughs> used into glitter. If you haven't seen that documentary on Netflix, fucking go watch it. But only watch it up until the one band member says, Yo, Use you, into glitter? Yo, use into glitter. <laughs> then turn it off because it's terrible. Oh, they're trying. <laughs> yeah, they are. But anyway, for our first episode of this month, we're going to talk about Wendy O. Williams. Wendy O. Williams? And I'm sure most of you are thinking... Why are these bitches talking about some <laughs> wig-wearing, gossip-talking talk show host? And we're not. And we're not. By the way, though, because that's kind of what I thought when Ashley said we should talk about Wendy Williams, <laughs> is I thought... We're not talking about Wendy, Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams? Really? No. no. Did she do music? Wrong Wendy Was Williams. Was she like a fly girl or something? Did no. I miss something? This Wendy O. Williams is completely different. Yes, much completely different she would not have a daytime talk show no no though she should have she she probably would have killed it i would have watched it but yeah this is a completely different wendy she was insane basically but also one of the very few women who were in the punk scene in new york city you know balls deep in it yeah and doing her own thing that the thing that women never really did before. She was really a fucking standout character as far as women in the rock scene go. Yeah. Yeah. Because not only is she a woman in, woman in rock, she was a woman who didn't give a fuck in rock. Oh, yeah. Now, at, granted, at, I, I'm not saying, like, the other women in rock did, did give fucks, but, like, Wendy O. Williams took any fucks that could have been given and set them on fire. Absolutely. And left them on your doorstep. And... The tragic thing is that she is severely underrated Ooh, yeah. and severely underrecognized for everything she did, not only for punk, but for women in general, yeah. especially women in punk, because she was, you know, at her height in the 70s and 80s and no, nobody knew who she was yeah. and people still don't know who she is. Like, Which is that's that's since I've been starting to do research for future episodes this month, I'm really surprised how little she is brought up. Yeah. Which is to say she isn't brought up. Again, I didn't know, not saying, 
you know, I'm the fucking king of knowing music <laughs> shit, but I know a lot about music. Right. I'm not a scrub. And I didn't know shit about Wendy Williams. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know that she even existed. And I tried not to look up too much. I just kind of skimmed the Wikipedia page so I could get... And what a Wikipedia page it is. Get really excited <laughs> for this episode because I'm going to learn something today just like everybody else. Everybody's going to learn something today and I'm excited to be the teacher. So today, why don't you sit yourself down with some Lagunitas the Censored. It's very tasty brews. Which will... It, it's thematic in a way that will become clear later. Oh, yeah. And um, we also had a burial yes. brew, br- beer company, excuse burial me, uh, Skull Saw. Yeah. Which it, also will become clear <laughs> later on. It's mostly the saw part. Mostly the saw so part. So get excited. Yeah. Sit down with your beers. This is actually one of the few times where I actually had several beers that applied to the theme that I could choose from. So I almost had a hard time picking some beers, but uh, good choices, good I have choices. to say. So far, I'm enjoying them. Pretty fucking great. I'm feeling pretty good about these. So, I forgot where I put mine. So let's get into this story of, right. of Miss Wendy O. Williams. Almost, actually, kind of a hometown hero. Ooh. Because Miss Wendy Orlean Williams was born... In Rochester, New York. Rochester. Which is only about two hours from where we are. No. Yeah. Rochester's like four hours from all No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Syracuse is like two hours, right? Yeah. Two and a half hours? And then Rochester is like another two hours from Syracuse. Still, she's a fucking hometown hero. (laughs) Whatever. Yo, upstate, western New York, whatever. All the same. Way to be from New York State. Exactly. (laughs) good form way to be from new york state and not from new york city yes so there you go all right step one (laughs) check so she was born in rochester on may 28th 1949 but when she was five her parents her father who is um a chemist for eastman kodak which if you don't know kodak film company started in rochester and i'm i don't know if it is it's still around it's still around today isn't it you can't see me right now, but I'm really giving Ashley the shruggy arms right now. Did you I, not know that? I, I, I Hometown hero. <laughs> yeah, it started in Rochester, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's still going. Sure. I mean, Kodak still is a thing. Yeah, they went through some hard times for a while. Yeah. You I, really the, the internet really made film have to reinvent itself. Pretty much. Thank now you, Polaroid, smartphones. Right? Now Polaroid just makes some bullshit phone cases and shit. Yeah, and... Little stupid toy cameras that hipsters run around with. Nobody uses those. Whatever. I anyway. Might, I might have one, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they were cool. Her dad was a chemist for Eastman Kodak, and he and her, her mother moved Wendy and her two sisters to Webster, New York, Ooh. Um, which was about 15 miles outside of Rochester. Oh, okay. Um, she once stated that she didn't feel like she fit in in the middle class suburb, that she felt like an outcast or a loner. And she said, I never felt like I fit in, like, quote, quoted, I never (laughs) felt like I fit in, which seems to be a pretty big theme throughout her life. She always felt like she never fit in anywhere. Right. And that will become apparent later. But she was also apparently very shy with some people that knew her back then stating that you actually, she spoke so softly, you actually had to lean in to hear what she was saying. Oh, she's so, just a little baby. She's a little baby. Little baby voice. Which I can totally 
relate to because I was exactly the same way when I was a kid. What's that like? (laughs) What's that like to be quiet? Quiet voice. I like to to not have a booming inflection. (laughs) What's that like? (laughs) Your disease of a booming inflection. Yeah, I have a really loud voice. My my microphone is significantly farther <laughs> away from my face than Ashley's is from hers. We did a lot of testing to figure out the best uh, yeah, spatial been, thing. I think this is the best for now, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I'm loud. <laughs> I'm not sorry. So despite her childhood shyness, that didn't stop her from winning a local tap dancing competition at six years old, which led to a guest appearance on the Howdy Doody show. What? As a member of the peanut gallery. Oh, good for you, Wendy. Howdy doody shit. (laughs) She was all about the howdy doody shit. What you talking about? (laughs) So she then went on to study clarinet in junior high band, and that led to a six-month stint at the prestigious community music school program at the University of Rochester's Eastman School of Music. Ooh. Which is apparently a big deal. Pinky up. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. So this all sounds like the high school career of a well-rounded suburban kid, right? Right. No, 100%. When I was reading this, I thought, wow, she seemed to have a really nice loving home. She got her shit together. She had her shit together. Like, girl was on it. She wasn't uh, fucking skipping classes to smoke cigarettes. Right. She was just doing her thing. She's like, I like music and dancing. Yep. I was on howdy doody. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, wow, what a wholesome little girl this is. But she was no such thing. Oh, shit. She, like we said, she never felt like she fit in. And she resented her parents for being, quote, cocktail zombies, <laughs> which I fucking love. Ooh. I just love that description. We need to coin that for We need to bring that back. Yeah. Or bring it in. For Wendy. For, for Wendy. For Wendy. We're, we're using it. We're stealing it. Sorry. You're using this, Wendy. Hope you're cool with that. <laughs> and she also stated once that other students made fun of her, quote, bird-like figure and hand-me-down clothes. <laughs> so were they like... Dee's a bird. I mean, Wendy's a bird. (laughs) They got all, it's always sunny on her. (laughs) Did she walk in and they thought she was an ostrich? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Dee. But when I was reading that, I was like, what is it like to have a bird-like figure? Seriously. Like, what what is that like? I'm like a puffin. <laughs> I was gonna say the only bird you could use to describe me is a pigeon. <laughs> Just Yo, pigeons are badass belly. though; like they don't give a fuck. Oh, uh, I guess, but the <laughs> shape of one, yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe when they're calling her a bird, they probably mean like a hummingbird or something I lovely ass- and delicate. Yeah, I assume she was just really skinny. Yeah, whatever. Had sharp facial features. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Like sharp facial features. Also, can we just be proud that I managed to still say facial features <laughs> and didn't get a lisp in the middle of it? Yeah, like slight, but not as much as I could have. Just a little bit. So, all, although other kids would make fun of her, she found solace in animals, Aww. which warms my goddamn heart. Yeah, it warms my crusty black heart oh, like no, like nothing else. Because I think we can both relate to that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have you seen how many dogs we have combined? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Fucking dogs are the best. Uh, But from an early age, she found comfort in bringing home strays and nursing them back to health. Anything from cats and dogs to raccoons and birds. Oh. But the acceptance of animals alone couldn't keep her in New York. Mm -mm. 
as she became more and more rebellious, like staying out late or for days at a time and sporting platinum blonde hair, which for the early 60s, I know for us, that's like big whoop because I have blue hair and you have pink hair. Yeah, seriously. But for the early 60s, like bleaching your hair blonde was like, whoa. Oh my. Oh. The neighbors. (laughs) What will they they say? Um, Wag of the fan. <laughs> but her parents just became more and more frustrated with her because she was being so rebellious. Right. But her first brush with the law, certainly not her last, <laughs> came when she was 15, when she was arrested for sunbathing nude in a state park. You do you, girl. Yeah. Don't let the police tell you you can't. Also, I thought it was always... Oh, wait. Was she like nude nude? She was nude nude. Oh, because I was going to say, I think... It is legal in New York State to be topless. But she's also 15 at the time. Now I want to look up that law and see if there's age stipulations. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> and this was also in the early 60s. All right, fine. I mean, if anything, they're probably just like, hey, you can't do that here, even though there's no real law against it. Right. right. It's the 60s. Right. You could do that shit next decade. So that same year, she decided to say fuck off to her virginity Rolled up into a bar, picked up a random dude, and fucked him in an act of mutiny against her parents and society or both. See, I could have used somebody like Wendy O. Williams when I was in high school to, like, make me not freak out over stupid shit and just own my own body and be a badass. Would she have done that or would she just have gotten you in a shit ton of trouble? I already was in a moderate amount of trouble, but it was stupid trouble. I could have gotten in cool trouble. (laughs) I never got in trouble when I was Ooh. never. You're yeah. quiet and always good. I was with quiet. Like. I was a nerd. I was good. I always did my homework. I didn't like go crazy or anything. I was like trying to be Wendy Williams, but terrible at it. <laughs> I got in trouble a lot, but it was for like skipping class. But just skipping class. Oh, I never skipped class. Just skipping class to sit in the stairwell, not to skip class to smoke cigarettes because I tried to smoke cigarettes. I was like, these are gross. <laughs> I also, I also kind of feel like my school was way too small to skip class. Like yeah. no, no matter. And also, it was literally plopped in the middle of cornfields for miles, so you could not go anywhere. Yeah. Where are you gonna go when you skip class? Hide in the corn. Well, that might be pretty fun. much all you could do. That might be fun. And then yeah, no, 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 it no. wouldn't have been fun. Ticks. <laughs> ticks everywhere. Just tick city. <laughs> what were you saying? <laughs> no idea what it Yeah, she's a badass. Continue. Anyway. I'm gonna stop being a peanut gallery over here. <laughs> Ooh, howdy doody. Howdy shit. doody. <laughs> so by age 16, she had quit school and run away from home. So this was her coming of age period, period, which was arguably vastly different than that of most teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, She essentially became a drifter hitchhiking to Boulder, Colorado, where she pitched a tent just outside of town to live in, worked part time at Dunkin' Donuts and made and sold beaded necklaces at 16. At 16. That's pretty fucking (laughs) ambitious. That takes balls. Yeah, it does. At 16 in, in the 60s, yeah. female by herself. Damn, girl. Yeah. All right. Uh, she. If you're 16 and listening to this, don't hitchhike to don't Colorado. Don't do this. Please don't do this. Don't do For the this. love of God, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> we are condoning that you do this, but Wendy was a badass. Yeah. 
Um, while she was there, she experimented with Far Eastern religions as well as drugs like LSD and mescaline. Like you do. Mm-hmm. She didn't stay in Boulder long, though, and hitchhiked her way to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Huh. Here, she worked as a lifeguard in between crocheting string bikinis and selling them on the beach. I feel like string bikinis made out of yarn is the worst Probably idea Probably a bad ever. idea. <laughs> Just the worst. Like, oh, God, it'd be so itchy and it yeah. would never dry. Especially if you uh, make them out of that really cheap red heart mm. yarn that oh. comes in the massive, like, boulder of a thing of yarn. Yes. And well, you got that red heart bikini? Oh, mm. that's nice. Yeah, it's chafing. <laughs> it's uh, chafing a I lot. got a rash <laughs> in a very uncomfortable place. Woof. In all the uncomfortable places. But at the same time, as someone who crochets, I'm like, how did she do that? I could probably figure it out if I tried real hard. Right? But I essentially know one stitch, and that's about it. Yeah. Also, I'm a lefty crocheter, so Ooh. it makes it even worse. I want to see your work. It's all backwards! <laughs> you... Should have seen my grandmother trying to teach me and my sister how to crochet. My grandmother, who has a short fuse and is right-handed, and me and my sister, who are both left-handed, just trying to figure out what the fuck she was doing. But she did it. It took a few summers, but she did it. Good job, Grandma. Yeah, good Proud job. Proud of you. And I, my sister is a fucking whiz at crocheting. She can do anything. I can crochet a scarf. Or a blanket, or anything that is rectangular, Ooh, or square. Or square. <laughs> nice. Either one, and I cannot guarantee it's going to be even. But it's I will a square. You doesn't have to be yeah, even. I will do it. Wait a minute. That's all I can do. <laughs> Just a parallelogram. <laughs> An octagon. I don't know how I did it. Here you go. It's a stop sign. Oh, it's pretty. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> so again, she didn't stay in place very long. And in 1974, at age 25, she somehow landed in Europe. I don't know how she got there, but she got there. Go for her. She ended up in Amsterdam working as a bartender, but quickly left for London, where she worked as a macrobiotic cook. Yeah, right? I, where are you getting the money for this the shit? The fucking resume on this woman <clears throat> yeah. is amazing already. And she's, what, 17? She's 25 at this point. Oh, okay. So she this but is still. A, about like eight years have passed. But still, like, what the... F at 25, I was like, I got out of college and I had an internship. Like, <laughs> I, have, I, I don't know what to do with my life. I have bills to pay. I need a job. Whereas Wendy O'Williams is like, I'm just going to go to Europe. Bye. But you know what? Different time. Different time. Different time. Again, you say how she afforded it. I'm, I'm sure that plane tickets were much cheaper back then. True. And they probably actually got food. Or probably just charm somebody into buying her a plane ticket. Ooh, good which for you, girl. I feel like would be pretty easy for her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, she left for London, where she worked as a macrobiotic cook, and she also joined a traveling gypsy dance troupe for a time, developing her own dance that somehow involved a six-foot buddha statue I, don't, I, I can only imagine okay i mean you do you girl again yeah. but police caught up with her again while in europe arresting her for shoplifting while she was england and she was also arrested for passing counterfeit money which landed her an overnight stay in an italian jail Ooh. which i'm sure even then really sucked if you ever watched the Amanda Knox documentary on Netflix, oh, that must have fucking sucked. Don't even get me started. 
we oh. could we could diverge completely. But we won't. But we will not. We will stay the course. Anybody who wants to talk about that in person. Or even, you know what, if you want to talk about it and message us on the social medias or email us, do it. Yes. Yeah. we will fucking talk for days about that shit. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Wendy O. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so after two years of drifting through Europe, Wendy decided to come back to the United States in 1976. Welcome back. She landed in a shitty apartment in lower Manhattan with nothing but a hot plate and a foam pad she used for a mattress. And now she's living the dream. Oh, yeah. In New York City in 1976. Yep. She's doing what everybody else does. So one day while she was at the Port Authority bus station near Times Square, Mm -hmm. Wendy noticed a discarded ad on the floor advertising jobs for a quote-unquote performance artist Mm -hmm. at something called Captain Kink's Sex Fantasy Theater located almost directly in the heart of Times Square. Now, this is 1976. Mm Mm-hmm. New York City and mm-hmm. Times Square in particular mm-hmm. were vastly different mm-hmm. than what they are now. There was no Applebee's in Times oh, Square in no. 1976. There might not be one pretty soon if you get to it and burn it down. <laughs> Someday. 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 Your next Applebee's. If, if that ever goes up in flames, we know who did it. Shh. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> But yeah, Times Square in the 70s was a pretty fucking seedy place, to say the least. It was basically just row after row of strip joints and uh, nudie bars and corruption everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, it was gross. Like you got Hep C looking at Times Square. Basically, like New York, (laughs) New York, and especially New York City was in a super financial crisis at Mm -hmm. that time. Almost declared bankruptcy. And then um, it slowly started getting its shit together in the later 70s when Ed Koch became mayor of New York City. Right. You know, the guy who went around going, how am I doing? How am I doing? (laughs) How am am I doing? Shook everybody's hand. How am I doing? (laughs) Good? Sure. I I guess you're doing I don't know. It's like you put the pressure on people by asking a point like, how am I doing? Yeah. Oh, good. I, don't, I think it was still a rhetorical question, though. Like, he really didn't want to know. <laughs> he didn't want to get any, any, into any real discussions about right, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so she was pretty much in the heart of this disgusting Times Square answering an ad for a performance artist at a sex Quote, unquote. <laughs> Quote, unquote. So wonder what, what it could be for. So Wendy decided to answer the ad, and when they said performance artist, what they really meant was they wanted someone that would be acting out scripted sex scenes for customers to watch on stage. So it was a sex show. It was a sex Woo! show. And I mean, it was a little different than prostitution. Yeah. They were getting paid for it, but... They were not engaging in sex with customers. They were only engaging in sexual acts with other actors. Before The Lion King, there were sex shows, which (laughs) was basically live sex shows were the Broadway of porn. So when you go to Broadway (laughs) next time, just stand outside of whatever theater you're about to go into and be like, they used to perform sex acts here. Yeah. So many gross. Oh, they felt the love tonight, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. They felt a lot love, of love. By love, I mean my dick. <laughs> a lot of dicks. They felt a lot of dicks that a night. A whole lot of dicks. Bag of dicks. <laughs> Many bags. Many dicks. <laughs> so, 
this Captain King sex fantasy theater was the brainchild of Captain King himself, better known as Rod Swenson, who would become a major person in Wendy's life from now and for the rest of her life. I was going to say, what? Yeah. (laughs) Rod was a pretty weird guy, and naturally Wendy took a liking to immediately. Uh, He was a former art student that had studied at the Brooklyn Museum and Art Students League, earning himself a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Colorado and a Master's in Fine Art at Yale, of all places. Wow, okay, he's got a nice... Both both these guys right now. Nice resumes. Yeah. Good for you. And naturally, after Yale, you go to New York City and start a sex fantasy theater show. Sounds about right. Right? Right? Sure. Yeah. Y- Yale graduates, let us know how true this is. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do, right? Right? <laughs> naturally. They have internships for that, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so after Wendy auditioned for Rod, he knew he loved her act and her look, and she actually danced for him to an instrumental (laughs) version of Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. And all I can think of is Garth Algar in Wayne's World seeing his fantasy woman in the donut shop and doing the Foxy Lady dance. Foxy. So I'm picturing Wendy Williams (laughs) as Garth doing the the little fox ears with her fingers and bouncing up and down. Bouncing a little flannel shirt around with her crotch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I can see that. Perfect. <laughs> you know what? That's probably where they got the idea in the movie. Could have been. Could have been, though. Well, Garth was blonde. We'll have to ask Mike Myers. <laughs> yes. Mike Myers was my dear Williams here inspiration. He'll be like, get the fuck out of here. Who? Who are you? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm still coming off my Shrek money. <laughs> Anyway, Rod Swenson wasn't sure what to do with Wendy, and eventually he found out that she was a very creative person with plenty of ideas for the show and costumes that women should wear, and he loved that about her. She's creative. So Rod realized pretty quickly that he and Wendy had a lot in common. They were both into health food, and actually, Rod had created the granola company, The Good Shepherd. Oh, which he would sell for a huge profit when he was only 22. So he already had a ton of money. Damn. Which, I guess when you have a ton of money and you're a Yale graduate. And you start sex shows, the next logical step is to sell your granola company for millions. Right. (laughs) Uh, And they both had a passion for animals. They also were both former hippies that found themselves back in New York just as the punk movement was starting to take hold. There you go. And shortly after meeting, Wendy and Rod would start dating, and they stayed lifelong partners. Aww. Which is actually really sweet. Yeah. You don't see that very often. You they don't. were together Especially for- in music. Yeah. But maybe you just need the fucking two weirdest people in the world who are like, no one's gonna get me yeah, like you like, are. They're both just the right kind of weird where- this guy is perfectly fine with his partner dancing naked on stage. Right. And simulate, well, not even simulating, yeah, but having, having sex with random dudes on stage. I mean, stage. it was his idea, arguably. True. And that's what she was there for. There you go. But anyway, so she started performing at Captain King's Sex Fantasy Theater shortly after Rod hired her, often playing the role of the dominatrix. 
Which I makes sense. That. It makes total sense. Uh, but one of her most famous acts was the ping pong ball trick. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. I, I know because I read this and yes. I forgot I read this until you said it. So sh- this was when she would put a ping pong ball in her vagina and shoot the ping pong ball across the room. That is the most powerful Kegel known oh, yeah. to man. And she would perform this trick in the 1978 adult film Candy Goes to Hollywood as a performer on The Dong Show, <laughs> which was a parody of The Gong Show. I should think that's as funny as I do, but I laugh at dick jokes. <laughs> now, <laughs> in an effort to be a good researcher, I watched Candy Goes to Hollywood. What? I found it online and I no, watched you're it. Porn night. Yeah. Oh, but it was so bad. Oh, Jesus Christ! 70s, it was so bad. Probably sea porn. I mean, first of all, I mean, full disclosure, I absolutely one hundred percent watch porn, but I am not the kind of person that enjoys like porn as a movie. Mm. And this was a movie. It oh was. My a, God. It was an hour and a half long, and it tried to have a storyline and like actors and everything and. See, and I uh, feel like I'm the opposite. I kind of like a porn that's like, we're going to have a plot. And I'm like, I'm kind of getting into this. I kind of care. I have I have emotional connection to these characters now. Well, then you should watch Candy Goes to Hollywood. All right. Well, it looks, sounds like my kind of porn. <laughs> I mean, it it's just, it's the stereotypical 1970s porn that people make fun of all the time. Right. Terrible acting, terrible plot line, just ri- ridiculousness. However, Wendy's performance (laughs) in it is amazing she is the goddamn highlight and it's unfortunate that she um that her scene is in the beginning not in the very beginning but in the first like half an hour i think okay so they already peaked and you're like i need another you needed to hold that off for at least 15 more minutes yeah i like super fast forwarded through the rest of the movie (laughs) i'm like i already saw wendy if you're just doing it for the wendy research why'd you even bother watching the rest because yeah, I, <laughs> I was like it, like, can, it can't right. be this bad throughout the whole thing oh no it oh, was really it is, bad though it was really bad so and in case you can't find the the porn there's another place you could watch ping pong ball show is in south park the movie <laughs> <laughs> i didn't when i read that i was like oh so that's what they were referencing yeah, because I'm pretty sure that Wendy probably like started it. Or, oh, I'm sure. Like, or at least was the first Made person. It popular. I at least was the first person to uh, be filmed. Right. Doing it because it was the 70s. Right. It's not like today where fucking if you think was it Rule 34 where if you think of it there's a porn of it. Oh. It's it's yeah. I mean yeah everything's a porn now. Yeah, pretty but much. But it wasn't like that in the 70s. For you kids at home, wasn't like that. You couldn't just Google something fucking fucked up. You couldn't just... And find a porn. You couldn't just shout Google because yeah. we didn't have computers. I mean, we did, but we didn't have computers in every home. We, anyway, so keep going. I'm rambling about computers and porn now. <laughs> I've got to slow down my <laughs> role with the beverages. <laughs> so shortly before her first foray into acting, hmm. Rod and Wendy decided to form a musical group with Wendy as frontwoman and Rod as the manager, and thus was born the Plasmatics. Woo! They recruited Richie Stotts on lead guitar, who was a six foot seven imposing man with a mohawk who wore women's clothing. 
Nice. Wes Beach on rhythm guitar, who would become the only member of the band to continuously be in the band throughout the band's and Wendy's entire careers. Um, and Jean Beauvoir. I, I do not know how to speak French, but he has a no. very French name. Um, <laughs> who would become an influential musician in punk and new wave scene in his own right. And Stu Deutsch on drums. Which Ooh, I like that name. Stu Deutsch. Stu Deutsch. Stu Deutsch. Stu Deutsch. <laughs> you know what? Vote him. Best name in the band. There you go. Good job, Stu. <laughs> so the plasmatic sound in the early days was really punk. Short, frantic, frantic songs about sex, violence, and anti-authoritarianism behind Wendy's very guttural, like, almost barking kind of vocals. Yeah. She was not a... She wasn't a singer. No. She didn't have, like, a pretty voice. But in punk, and that's what the best thing about punk, is you don't need a pretty voice. She had a punk voice. She she has, she has a lot of emotion behind her voice. Yeah. Which I think that spoke more than even any kind of mel- melodic voice you could yeah. have. And in their their beginning... Um, in the in the early days of the plasmatics, she did a lot of like it was very grunting, very barking, and very she had a very deep guttural voice, and it was perfect for punk music. Right. Um. So their first show was on July twenty eighth, nineteen seventy eight, at where else? CBGBs. Go cool. in New York City. There you go. And they were instantly popular. They be- they started playing more and more shows, and their popularity popularity just kept growing. I could not get that sentence out. <laughs> they gained notoriety because of Wendy's choice of onstage costuming, which she would become famous for, or as famous as she could be right. for. She should be famous or for it. Yes, absolutely. Um, she usually was playing topless where the law allowed, mm-hmm. or topless covered in shaving cream, yeah. or topless with electrical tape over her nipples. Uh, not only which, by the way, definitely want to go electrical tape over your nipples, not yeah. duct tape. Oh no! Don't put duct tape. Don't on even your nipples. put scotch or like, uh, yeah. Don't put scotch tape on. Them. Nope, 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 nope. Nope. Electrical nope, tape nope, is nope, the nope, safest nope. you're gonna get. Yep. Nope. <laughs> not only was the electrical tape necessary to comply with some cities' decency laws, but it was also a commentary on and a mocking of the black censored bars that would cover indecent images on TV and ads at the time. Like the censored bar over our beers. Of our Lagunitas censored beers. See? Thematic. Thematic. We did it. it. We totally pulled it off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At this time, she was also sporting a bleach blonde mohawk. Oh, yes. And she was one of the very few women lead vocalists to do so, and probably the first one to do it. And that is another... Like, huh. typically Wendy image that people have. Topless, yeah. bleach blonde mohawk. I didn't know she was the first to do that. That's awesome. She, I'm pretty sure she was the first. Like, I very, I could be wrong about that. In the forefront, that. at least. Right. In, in a very popular punk band, at least. She was right. one of the first women to do that. Because you didn't, you didn't see women with mohawks. No. Even in the punk scene, it was mostly guys that had mohawks i mean in general you didn't see a ton of women in the punk scene right exactly so and yeah she's taken over at least in that front 
So the band's first single off their album, New Hope for the Wretched, which was released in 1980, was Butcher Baby. And along with the songs Monkey Suit and Living Dead helped establish them as a bona fide punk band. I love that song. I got right. Probably one of my favorite plasmatic songs. I really enjoy watching the video for it because it's just so fucking random. She's jumping around with her shaving cream top and her fucking cop hat, and then you got her guitarist wearing a tutu and another guy wearing a bag over his head, and (laughs) Japanese characters all over the wall in the background. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And it's I'm in love. Yeah, and that's that was a very typical stage show for them in the early days. And at some point during Butcher Baby. Um, Wendy would take a chainsaw and, or first she would take a guitar. She would get a guitar, she would put it on a stand and then she would get a chainsaw and she would very suggestively (laughs) saw the guitar in half with the chainsaw. And you can see in, there's a video on YouTube, you can see her like really like grinding that chainsaw into that guitar that makes me nervous what makes me nervous is that she's just like wailing around this chainsaw and i'm like i fucking hate that's what i know i've hit my mid-30s is when i'm really nervous watching someone wield a (laughs) chainsaw so carelessly (laughs) pretty much yeah oh my god but yeah no that's it's a great song it's nice and raw and the Watching them perform it on stage is great. I feel like I have so much more of an appreciation for this music as I'm getting older, which is weird. And I really wish it was around now, but it's not. Yeah. Everything's crap now. I just wish that it that the Plasmatics, especially in their early punk days, got the recognition that they deserve. Oh my god, yeah. For the just the music that they played because it's so raw, so punk, so guttural, and yeah. just... It, it's not even deep music. They're just screaming about sex and violence and shit and blowing shit up and whatever. But And in some ways, though, that's really refreshing because everybody's singing really fluffy bullshit and they're like, no, sex and drugs and alcohol and rock and roll. Right. They're just letting it. They're not pretending, which is nice and which is which is punk. Yeah, And even other punk bands were talking a lot about, you know, disenchantment with the government and right. heavy topics like that while they're just screaming about butcher babies. Right. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes you just need that mindless fun. Right, exactly. And they provided it. So soon enough the plasmatics were selling out CBGBs and even even, even. selling out the 3300 seat palladium. Ooh. Their stage shows got bigger, their sets became more violent. They were already known for their raucous live shows where Wendy would chainsaw the guitars in half and parade them around the stage. She would dance and gyrate provocatively all over the stage while topless. (laughs) 
But eventually they graduated to exploding cars on stage and destroying stacks of televisions with sledgehammers, which is amazing. You know, you pay for the whole seat, but you only need the edge. (laughs) Pretty much. So this level of danger often led to concert promoters and venue owners to cancel their shows. But this never daunted the band. Oh, my God. In fact, Wendy famously drove an exploding Cadillac off of Pier 62 in New York City in front of a crowd of 12,000 enthusiastic fans. She jumped out of the car just before it careened into the water. The couple that sold them the car weren't exactly (laughs) enthused about the violent death that he was about to receive. And she said something like, everything must die, but your car will be immortal. Fucking right. <laughs> Holy shit. I love my car, yeah. but if it was going to go out like that, yeah. yeah. Just imagine this oh crazy, bemohawked, topless woman careening into the <laughs> River in an oh, exploding car. Oh my God, that's, that's amazing. amazing. It's I'm in awe. I love this woman. Oh, you know what? That's that's, that's going to go on my list of things I wish I could go back in time and watch. I'm sure we could probably find like a YouTube video of it somewhere. I be there. Yeah. Experience it. If we oh. had a time machine, I would be one of the 12,000. Yeah. Absolutely. We'd make it 12,001. Two. 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 because there's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Unless something goes horribly wrong in the time machine. I mean, you know, I'm not known for my math skills. <laughs> so as the band continued to develop, to develop their furiously apocalyptic stage show, they began to encounter legal problems left and right. You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in January 1981, Wendy was arrested after a concert in Milwaukee on obscenity charges. She was charged with simulating masturbation on stage with a microphone and sledgehammer. Yeah, the the Midwest does not like... They don't like that shit. They don't like that. No. No. Wendy and Rod Swenson would end up suing the arresting officer, who they said used excessive force when arresting them. According to Wendy, one of the officers sexually assaulted her, and her reaction, naturally, was to slap the officer. The cops then tackled her and Rod to the ground and beat them up pretty good. And in her mugshot, you can actually see, like, her black eye and her bloody, like, cheekbone. That's fucked up. Yeah. <clears throat> she was also charged with battery and resisting arrest. However, both she and Rod would be cleared of all the charges. Good. A mere few days after this incident, Wendy was arrested again in Cleveland, Ohio, again on obscenity charges for simulating <laughs> sex on stage. And- Guys! Guys, she simulates sex. Just fucking let her do it. Who cares? Who cares? Everyone's there to see it. Who gives a shit? You all fuck. Yeah. It's fine. No, but they don't want to know. They don't want you to know that they fuck. Okay. But anyway. (laughs) God damn it. She was only wearing shaving cream this time. And she was also acquitted of these charges. The jury hearing her case apparently were pretty amused by the whole thing and Ah. dropped the charges. Good job. Good job, jury. A little later on that same year, she was warned by a Chicago judge to get her shit together after she punched a photographer trying to take her picture while she was jogging. All these legal battles raised her profile. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) And actually, I kind of love this. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want on stage. I will be naked. You can videotape me. I'm going to shit. I am jogging. How dare you? But don't, don't you fucking bother me when I'm jogging. jogging. <laughs> but fucking seriously. Like, 
Come on. Oh my god, I would never want anybody to fucking this take pictures my of me time. jogging. I look like a fucking idiot when I'm running. So I get that. You know what? I feel you, Wendy. Most of the time when I'm jogging, I'm also holding my boobs down. <laughs> so I don't have hands to punch people. I wear two bras. It helps keep them down. Oh, that's a good idea. I, I wear a regular that. sports bra and then one of those fancy sports bras. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that one. Pro tip for girls with big boobs. <laughs> Two bras. Just so you know. Two minutes. So yeah, the legal battles would raise their profile considerably, and Good. soon enough, the band was getting national television appearances. Yes. They compounded this newfound popularity by pumping out two albums in 1981, sure. Beyond the Valley of 1984 and the EP Metal Priestess. They kept their punk edge for Beyond the Valley with songs like Master Plan. So they still kept their punk edge with this album. Oh, yeah. You can tell it slowed down a little bit. Right. It's not as frantic as it as it was in their first album. Yeah. This would especially be prevalent in Metal Priestess, which saw the band moving away from punk and more towards metal and thrash rock. Right. Wendy's voice got lower. It got raspier and even more guttural. And Which I I kind of like though. I kind of yeah. like how just like deep and just yeah. raspy that voice got. But also, it destroyed her voice. Oh, yeah, yeah it does. I mean, obviously, this is not her natural vocal nope. range. It's it was absolutely a put on. But all of that like guttural screaming and night after night of doing live shows like this, it really took her its toll oh. on her vocal cords. And you can tell if you watch interviews with her, especially when she was a little bit older and into her solo career, it's like she she just can't... You, you can almost barely hear her because it's so low and cracking. Right. And she really took... A, she really did a number she, on her vocal cords. She gave her cords. voice a real being. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. They put out a Coup d'etat in 1983, which would be the last Plasmatics album... By this time, MTV was a thing, so they made a now infamous video for their single, The Damned, and it featured Wendy driving a school bus into a wall of TVs, then climbing onto the roof of the bus and jumping off of it seconds before it careens into a second wall of TVs and explodes. God, it's so amazing. I love that song. Oh my God. And you can really hear 
the turn to metal in this song. Oh yeah, definitely. It is such a fucking sweet metal song. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so dark. It's so evil. Yeah. I'm in love with it. And you can hear the difference in her voice. Yeah. Um. Oh, it's it's very different. Yeah, it's not just like barking words at you. It's like drawn out, like rumbling almost. She has this rumbling in her voice that's very... Uh, of the metal genre of the metal yes um, it's of the metal genre and even her kind the way she dressed kind of changed because in the damned video she's wearing like this tattered top and almost it almost looks like a chastity belt you oh. know those studded belts yeah 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 that people wear it it's like that and basically underwear because <laughs> it's no. wendy that's pretty much all she wore was tattered like, tops I'm, and I'm underwear i'm gonna wear clothes but they're not gonna be a lot of clothes. It's going to be real clothes. But definitely the look and the sound was turning towards that thrash metal yeah. kind of sound. So this was the last original Plasmatics album that came out. And after this, uh, they toured a little bit and then the Plasmatics pretty much dissolved. Oh. But although they dissolved, Wendy still kept busy. She put out a split EP with Lemmy Kilmister of Motorhead, which included a pretty amazing cover of Stand By Your Man that was originally done by Tammy Wynette. Yup. It's fucking amazing. It's real good. I love it. Fantastic cover. Fantastic cover. Yeah, it really and, is, though. And uh, Wendy and Lemmy would be pretty much lifelong friends. Aww. And he was actually really sad when she passed away, but we'll get to that later. Oh, spoilers! Um, <clears throat> so Wendy continued to grace magazine covers. Mm. And in 1984, she became the first woman to, front and, to be front and center on the cover of Kerrang! magazine. Yeah. Which was a British metal magazine. In that same month, she was also on the cover of Vegetarian Times. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Metal! Two two weird crossovers where you're like, hey, it's a woman on a fucking metal magazine. Hey, there's a metal star on a vegetarian magazine? (laughs) Alright. Okay. (laughs) I would buy both. I'd buy both. Uh, The same year, Wendy released her first solo album titled simply Wow, or Wendy O. Williams. Williams. Love Surprisingly, it. it was produced by Gene Simmons of Kiss, what? who was actually good friends with Wendy by then, because back in 1982, the Plasmatics opened for Kiss huh? on their tour that year, and the two became friends and remained so for many years. Oh, Gene, as well as Ace Frehley, Paul Stanley, Vinnie Vincent, and then Kiss drummer Eric Carr were all featured musicians on her first solo album. That's awesome. So basically, Kiss was her backup band for this album. for once, Kiss was a session band. Yes. (laughs) For a woman. That's actually quite refreshing. For a woman, which is pretty sweet, considering how big Kiss was at that point. Right. 
that's a pretty big thing. That was thing. definitely like them reaching the heights of their career. Yeah, I'm well, I mean I mean they here's the thing, they they were high for a while. Yeah, they were they were pretty I think they reached their height in the seventies and early eighties. Yeah, they oh. were around in the seventies. No, yeah, but I guess I didn't you know, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. <laughs> the point is But they were still pretty They were popular. popular like, at people that fucking point. knew Kiss. Right. So when Gene Simmons is like, yo, we're supporting this chick, people are gonna be like Oh, shit. All right. Well, hold up. Well, they should be. Right. You would think that they would be. Oh, hold up, though. But the album didn't do well commercially. And it earned... But, 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 but. It did earn Wendy a Grammy nomination for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance in 1985. I'll take it. I don't think they were still... I think that was still the time that they weren't putting that on the televised. In 85? Yeah, in 85. I don't know if they were televising Best Female Performance yet. Yeah. Best Female Rock Performance? Mm, mm, probably, probably not. not. Um, Thanks, Grammys. But it's easy to see why she got nominated with songs like It's My Life. tell she still has that metal-ish sound that raspy yeah and and her vocals are not as deep and raspy as they were in the last plasmatics album right but it's still very wendy but also it's still really kiss right it's 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 polished and i'm not saying that in a shitty way yeah i'm saying that in the night in like the best of ways yeah it's still this raw sound but it's cleaner. Like, you can right. really fucking hear it and feel it. It doesn't have... It just has that high production quality. Yeah. Which doesn't hurt it. It does help it. And I kind of feel like that has a lot to do with the fact that Gene Simmons had a heavy hand in oh, this. Oh, I'm sure. And it wasn't just Rod Swenson kind of fucking around, <laughs> doing whatever, playing manager, producer, right. whatever he wanted to be that day. So... You know, you can really hear Kiss's influence on a lot of the songs on the album, especially a song called Ready to Rock. Yo, did Aerosmith bite off this song? Because I think they did I for think Ragdoll. They did. Ragdoll and this song have the same, pretty much the same exact opening sequence. Right. And this song came out first. Yup. So I'm going to say that uh, Aerosmith kind of kind of bit off some Wendy o. Williams there. Boom. Calling you out. Calling you out, Steven Aerosmith. Tyler. 
I think Joe Perry wrote it, but still. <laughs> None of this matters. None of that matters. None of that matters. Calling all you bitches out. Calling all you bitches out. <laughs> but anyway, you can still hear the kiss, the heavy-handed oh. kiss influence. And I'm pretty sure that this song in particular was written, it was written by Gene and I think Paul Stanley, and that was it. So You can hear the Paul Stanley in it's, this song. It's basically a kiss <laughs> song yeah. with Wendy on vocals. Which makes it better. Arguably, it's, I I, c- I like the song. Yeah, no, I do too. And I think, but I'm I think just, if Kiss did it, I wouldn't like. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Like if if you have Wendy O. Williams doing Kiss songs, and here's the thing, I like Kiss songs. They're fine. I like Kiss. It's fine. But if you have Wendy O. Williams doing Kiss songs, I think that makes them all better. <laughs> Absolutely. And from now on, when I hear Kiss song, I'm gonna imagine it's Wendy O. Williams singing. She could have done an entire tour where all she did was cover Kiss songs, and it would have been so much better than an actual right? Kiss concert. I mean, again, Kiss is fine. I have no problems with Kiss. We'll probably talk about them eventually. I have problems with Gene Simmons. I mean, like, but I don't have problems with Kiss. Right. That's yeah. That's. That's for another day. They're, that's I'm, that's I'm, a package that I'm leaving on the front porch to unpack on another day. I am day. separating the two. Yes. I do enjoy Kiss. Yes. But anyway. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> we digress. Uh, so she put out a second solo album called Commander of Chaos. Mm, that's a good one. But it didn't do much better than her first solo effort. Songs on this album, Commander of Chaos... For some reason, we're played at breakneck speeds, directly in opposition to the previous album, where a lot of the songs were much slower and more calculated. Right. Uh, Commander of Chaos almost saw Wendy's return to the Plasmatics punk roots with songs like Pedal to the Metal, uh, ringing back to songs like Butcher Baby. return to the punk sound though i, think I do it's too fun. yeah i mean that's the weird thing and again seems to be the trend with wendy is that all of her music is actually really good and these albums are really good punk and or metal albums right. and they could have done really well commercially i don't know what happened behind the scenes where actually no her record uh her record company was just like not interested in promoting her because she was originally with uh stiff records which was a british label Mm -hmm. and they did pretty good by her because they were there in the their early punk days and they did a lot to really try and promote their sound and promote them um nationally but i think stiff got absorbed by capital records and Uh capital records just didn't give a fuck about them right which is sad because they could have done so much. Yeah, like, I don't understand why she wasn't more popular. This yeah. is totally the sound of the time. She's a hot chick. There's so many ways that they could have at least attempted yeah. to market her. And she has an her... amazing background story that totally would have flown in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm not understanding. The but, math on this doesn't add up. And I don't want really want to put the blame on Rod because... I don't think he really had 
I don't think he didn't want her to become a big star. Right. But I feel like he could have probably done a whole lot more. But, but again, arguably, he just probably didn't have the tools in the sense that yeah. he might not have known what to do. Yeah. And in my research, I really couldn't find anything about his uh, relationship with Wendy as a manager. Right. But just from the sound of it, it, it sounds to me like he could have fought for her more. Mm-hmm. He could have tried harder to get her some exposure and everything. And at, and at this time, she was on MTV a lot. She did have some huh. notoriety. Yeah. But people knew her as the chick who showed her boobs on stage and blew up cars. Yeah. And who knows? For all, you know, at that time... Maybe people didn't want to give her that kind of respect because they figured, oh, she's the girl with the right. boobs. Why is she's she, why is she showing her boobs? Up. That's disgusting. Yeah. It, yeah. It, unfortunately, guys, really, I would say maybe the last two years, women have started to maybe get some respect. <laughs> maybe. That's it. That's because it. It's, guys, the 80s weren't great for women either. So Yeah, they really weren't. <sighs> yeah. So in 1987, Wendy decided to reform... reform the Plasmatics, nice. but with a completely new lineup. Uh, West Beach was still there. He was the only person from the original lineup that's continued to be there. Um, and he was hardcore devoted to the band he helped create. They made their last album called Maggots the Record. Yeah. Many called it a thrash metal opera as it was essentially a concept album with an ap- apocalyptic central theme. And according to Wikipedia... The theme is, quote, a group of scientists trying to eliminate pollution in the rivers and oceans develop an RNA retrovirus designed to eat it all, eat up all the virus and then die once the pollution has been consumed. But global warming leading to the flooding of land areas instead puts the virus in contact with the common maggot, leading to a mutated form of maggot that doubles in size with each generation looking for more and more things to consume. In the end, the in the end of the world finale, cities are being destroyed and humans consumed by giant maggots in horrific metaphorical end to a world blind to human consumption and environmental destruction. Still relevant! incredibly relevant like god damn it like it's been 30 years it's it's almost like it was prophetic in a way like this was 1987 this was a time when people weren't so much concerned with global warming didn't really even know what it was or if it was a concern and didn't understand really the concept of the destruction of the environment but Wendy pretty much predicted that the state the environment was going to be in in 25 years from then was disturbingly accurate. Like they, she somehow knew in 1987 that 25 years from then we were going to be in the state that we're in now. You know, for the second time in this podcast, I'm ready to flip the table. <laughs> but I won't because it's got beers and our equipment on it. And that's precious cargo. So... <sighs> So the album received generally positive reviews and Krang actually gave it a five out of five and said Wendy's vocals, quote, reduce Celtic Frost Tom G. Warrior's death grunts to mere whispers. Yeah. Which is an amazing quote. I love it. (laughs) And now we're going to play Destroyers. Yeah. Yeah. 
Concept-wise. Definitely. I I love concept albums, and I love that she did a concept album. Yeah. That makes me feel good knowing that. A concept album that's so relevant even now. (sighs) She was one of the very few people back then that was actually concerned about the environment. You know, arguably, there still are not a lot of people (laughs) concerned about the environment. It's fine. We didn't lose half of our environmental protections in the past year. No, it's fine. I'm going to just keep drinking. (laughs) Forget all your problems. But anyway, unfortunately, this album again flopped. Her last album will be an ill-advised attempt at a rap album called Deafest and Baddest, released in 1988. I'm going to pretend that that album didn't exist. We're not going to talk about it. Yeah, no, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> what? So after... We've got nothing? I'm, I'm not talking about it. All right. <laughs> if you're yeah. curious, be like me. Go look it up later. Yeah. So after Deafest, uh, Wendy would never again return to music. Mm. She would have a short foray... Foray. Foray. Is you say it? I don't know. I do. For- it's foray. Foray? I just fucked it up the first time. Is it? Oh, it's okay. Foray. No, I'm, it's one of those words that doesn't sound like a word. <laughs> so she would have a short foray into acting in the late 1980s, appearing in films Reform School Girls in 1986, and Pucker Up and Bark Like a Dog in 1990. She these also- aren't porns. No, these are not porns. Huh. Supposedly. I didn't watch these. I only watched the porn. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time. <laughs> It's only so many hours in a day, people. I know. So she also guest starred in a couple TV shows, including MacGyver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she left the entertainment industry once the 90s came around. She and Rod moved to Stores, Connecticut in 1991. She left her onstage persona behind with the 80s, becoming an animal rehabilitator and vegetarianism promoter. Aww. She had always been dedicated to self-improvement and personal health, as well as animal rights causes, and she threw herself into these causes after retiring from the entertainment industry. Uh, Those that toured with her recall her refusing to wear makeup by companies that tested on animals, as well as her strict vegetarianism. Mind you, this was all in like the early 80s and and in the 70s. That wasn't a thing back then. Now it's trendy to do all this shit. Yeah. This this was unheard of back then. So yeah. she she was one of the first people to really like make this a thing. She also espouses the dangers of too much sugar and processed foods in American diets. She's okay. Girl she, was real ahead of her fucking oh, time. Absolutely. Uh, she famously had a diet coke can removed from her dressing room because it was bad karma, and also wouldn't allow white bread in the dressing room. What? Yeah. 
Yo, like, I get it. White bread's terrible, but it's delicious. <laughs> like, it if you is. want cake for dinner, you eat white bread. Yeah. <laughs> um, smokers were also banned from dressing rooms, and she had already given up alcohol and drugs by the 1980s. What? So she... That girl was just raw, crazy pants. She wouldn't even take aspirin. So hold on. I think it's funny, too. So she didn't smoke cigarettes. Nope. And I think it's funny because sometimes when she sings, I think, oh, she's got a smoker's voice. Yeah. I don't want to say she has a smoker's voice because what if she's not a smoker? Yeah. And she's not. You know what she has? But she managed a smoker's voice here regardless. Yeah. It's because she was fucking destroying her vocal cords oh, instead of smoking. <laughs> that'll do it. So the only drug she needed was a runner's high. What? Because she jogged, swam, and lifted weights incessantly. She can, was- I, can I tell you, I used to run real hard. I ran a 10K, which, that's real hard for me. I know some of you probably run marathons, and I'm sorry. I, I Running no. for 10 minutes straight is hard for me. I, I, I trained for a 10K. I lifted weights. I swam. I did all that shit. I never felt a fucking workout high. I don't know what a workout high is supposed to feel like. What is a runner's high? Because I don't. I've never. I don't know what that is. And I ran for years. I ran for years because I would just put on some sweet jams and say, "Well, this is good for you. Do it." Right. I force myself to go running. Absolutely have to force myself to go running. What the fuck is a runner's high? As soon as I start running, I'm like, "Why the fuck are you doing this to yourself? What are you doing?" Feeling of like this great what the can you yeah, like, no. you know what if you've gotten a runner's high let us know because i'm really how do what you that do is. it explain it how explain this because every time i run i'm just it's 10 straight minutes of what the fuck are you doing to what yourself is this shit I you could just walk this. you could walk right now and you're running what are you doing what to are yourself you doing this is garbage <laughs> so i don't understand so good high. for you wendy right fucking good for you what is that life by the way this is about to get real fucking sad. Get your t- Kleenex ready. It's right here. And I can't even guarantee I'm not going to start crying. So anyway, after moving to Connecticut, she got a job at a local food co-op, mm-hmm. educating people on the benefits of vegetarianism and healthy eating, and also worked at the Quiet Corner Wildlife Center. Although she was living a quiet, quiet life, she still had a hard time fitting in with regular society she had difficult difficulty transitioning from Wendy O. Williams, queen of shock rock, to regular member of society, and she also struggled with depression, which was something people said she grappled with her entire life, like serious, deep depression that right. she just couldn't shake off. Living in the suburbs of Connecticut didn't seem to help with her mental health. Her serious depression caused Wendy to try and commit suicide on a few occasions. Her first attempt was in 1993 when she hammered a knife into her chest. So, like, hold up, because I read this on Wikipedia. Did she just, like, put a fucking knife to her chest and a hammer and try to, like, literally hammer it in? Or was she just hammering it with her hand? Like, I'm not really sure. What the fuck do they mean by hammer it in? I'm assuming they mean she tried to... Like, just put the knife straight in her heart. <sighs> so in order to do that, you kind of have to put it, like, right in the middle of your chest, which uh, is where your sternum and is. And your sternum's real... Oh! Yeah. Huh. So the knife got stuck in her sternum, after which she changed her mind and called Rod to take her to the hospital. Like, that's fucking... I can't... 
Oh, it makes me fucking cringe thinking about it. That's terrifying. It's kind of like putting yourself through unnecessary anguish and pain. But she tried a second time in 1997, and she tried to overdose on ephedrine, but again, she survived. But on the third attempt, Wendy would succeed. On April 6, 1998, almost exactly 20 years ago, Wendy walked into the woods behind the home she shared with Rod Swenson. She brought nuts with her and fed the squirrels before putting a bag over her head and shooting herself. When Rod came home that day, he found a package from Wendy waiting for him. It contained some of his favorite things, a package of noodles he liked, packs of seeds for growing salad greens, massage balm, and letters from Wendy herself. Finding this package alarmed Rod, who went looking for Wendy. He found her in the woods of their backyard, amongst the animals the two of them kept and rehabilitated that she devoted so much of her life to. She was 48 years old. Jesus Christ. That's like... We really, we really need to find... We really need to find happier topics to talk about. <laughs> God damn it. It's tragic in the sense that it's the story of a woman who never felt like she fit in. Right. And it's not that she just didn't fit in to society or with friends or social groups or whatever. She didn't feel like she belonged on this earth. She didn't feel like she could f- have any connection to anybody on this planet that made it worth staying here. Right. And... That's the tragic thing about suicide, I think. It's not, to me, okay, I've known a lot of people in my life, friends, family, everything that have committed suicide, and it's not, uh, it's not the fact that they're taking their own lives. It's not the fact that they're not going to be here anymore. The sad part to me is that they don't feel like there is anyone here who understands them. Right. That's the tragic part about it. That's the part that keeps me up at night that makes me sad. Right. And you can absolutely see that in Wendy's story. Right. And it's, I'm sure that Wendy had so many people after she died who said, well, I never knew. Wendy always was the certain person. Right. And you, you, in reading her story, why would you ever think? But that's the fucking shit garbage part about depression that brings you to that brink a lot of times is that people will say, I didn't know. Yeah. Because Wendy didn't want to fucking burden anybody with her problems. Wendy didn't want to fucking make herself look like, oh... I'm always sad. I'm always depressed. And she tried to work through it and fucking. And she also had this for her for trying to work through it. She had this public persona of this badass chick that could take on anything. Right. So if anybody knew her as that, they expected her to be that. Exactly. And I don't think she was that personally. Right. Oh, probably not at all. In her private life, she wasn't like that. But I'm sure that made it easy for her to put on that mask, Mm -hmm. go out there and say, yep, this is who I am. And that way she never had to tell anybody, right. no, I'm really suffering inside and I well, can really the, use... Well, at the same time, she was somebody completely different yeah. and didn't feel like anybody could understand that. Yeah. And that's a really sad thought. It's it's so. pretty fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, 
but she left a suicide note and she actually left a series of suicide notes. Wow. And Rod shared the last note after she passed away. And um, in that suicide note, she said, the act of taking my own life is not something I am doing without a lot of thought. I don't believe that people should take their own lives without deep and thoughtful reflections over a considerable period of time. I do believe strongly, however, that the right to do so is one of the most fundamental rights that anyone in a free society should have. For me, much of the world makes no sense, but my feelings about what I am doing ring loud and clear to an inner ear and a place where there is no self, only calm. Which, to me, it sounds as though she was completely in her right mind when oh, she wrote it. Yeah. Which There's is, nothing that sounds out of it, character, out of place. It, it. She talks about it like it's a business decision. Yeah. Rather than an irrational and abrupt decision made by someone in a distressed mental state. I mean, honestly, she tried several times within a small amount of time. And all usually, considered. and usually, when that happens, when somebody attempts to commit suicide. Even once, but especially multiple times, eventually they will be successful at it. Um, a large percentage of people that attempt do attempt again and succeed. Yeah. Um, but she knew this world was not for her. And some somewhere there was a place where she belonged. It just wasn't on this earth. And she just wanted to be there. Yeah. She wanted to be she there. She might have just been tired of trying. To fit yeah. in somewhere that's just so exhausting yeah. and, and you don't. What upsets me most about it is that um, she had such a tragic end to her life. Um, and still, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody fucking knows who she is. And everyone needs to fucking oh know who she is. And if you're a woman, I don't give a shit if you don't like rock or metal or punk or it whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. You need to A, listen to Wendy Williams. B, you know this story. Like, she should be fucking celebrated this month. Absolutely. 100% she should be in the forefront. And I remember uh, the reason I know who she is is because she would always, every once in a while, end up on one of those, like, lists that MTV or VH1 would do about, like, most influential rock people. Right. Like, 100 most influential rock people, and she would be, like, number 99. Yes. Like, <laughs> and then no! You'd have, you'd have, like, Nikki Six and Jane Six. Right. Like, oh, like, she was a really cool chick. Or fucking Dave Navarro or some <laughs> shit. Like, fucking, come on! What's his face? T Tommy... Tommy Lee? Yeah! Oh, Tommy Lee. Give me a fucking break. No, she deserves to be at least in the top ten. Yeah, I want to hear more women talking about her. I want to hear more women rockers citing her as an influence. Absolutely. Like, that's your homework for this week, kids. Like, fucking look up her videos. Look up her songs. The music's fucking awesome. I don't... Just fucking watch the porn. I don't give a watch shit. Watch the porn. Watch the documentary <laughs> you watched. Uh, yep. What was it? The Plasmatics and Wendy Williams? Oh, I don't remember the name of it. Cause there I'll, were like, say, I'll put in the show like notes. There's like eight of them, and I bought one of them. Uh. <laughs> and they all have like like seizure-inducing covers, and I don't remember which one it was. I, I don't think remember was... which seizure-inducing cover yeah, it was. I don't. I think it was just called Wendy O. Williams. I'm really not sure. Oh, my God. It's, uh Either way, you know, learn yourself something. Fucking use this as an opportunity to fucking learn more about an amazing woman. Let's get her fucking name out there. 
I want it out yeah. there. I want to fucking see more about Wendy yeah. O. Williams. She deserves it. Because she fucking does. If there's all of these, you know, dudes that can be immortalized, you know, because they passed away in the last 10 years or they had like one tiny contribution to the rock right. music industry and they can be fucking immortalized. So can Wendy. Yeah. 100%. Because she blazed trails. She fucking kicked ass doing it. And she did it in a burning Cadillac that careened into the Hudson river. Fucking <laughs> a burning Cadillac. Oh God. That's, you know what? Just, Oh, Eric, you brought me back. I'm good. I'm in my happy place. Yeah, I'm sorry to bring you down there for a second. No, but that burning Cadillac yeah. brought me to a great place right yeah. there. And I mean, especially because she had such a sad ending. And this also is an opportunity to bring more awareness to suicide yes. and suicide prevention and depression and mental health disorders yep. and people that have these things that need some kind of help. Yeah. Um, and, like, if you may not think you belong, but trust me, you belong somewhere. And it's not dead. And there is somebody to talk to. Yes. So, please, if you're feeling at this point that you don't think you can stay here, you can. Just fucking reach out to someone, please. Even us. We're, Even us. We're on the social media. We are. And we would love oh to God. talk to you. We would. We about would. anything. We don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, we really don't, though. We talk about weird shit. It's fine. <laughs> We're fucking weird bitches. All right. All right. Before before you leave, just remember Vernon Cadillac. And celebrate so Wendy. Celebrate just Wendy. fucking hashtag please. celebrate Wendy. Hashtag celebrate Wendy. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're sorry to bring you up, then bring you down. <laughs> Again, next week we will really try to cover something a little bit more exciting and positive. Not that this wasn't exciting, this was, but a little bit more positive. Yeah. Or not uh, as sad. Not as sad. Has a happier ending. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't fucking know anymore. Please go ahead and follow us on all the social medias. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast. We are on Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And please rate and review us on iTunes. Seriously. Like, we could totally use some really awesome reviews, you know? And, you know, we will definitely be down for any feedback you want to give us. If you want to just email us at, uh, contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. You know, we're down to learn more. We're very new at this. And totally, we just like to talk too. Yeah. Maybe just chat you up. And we like to meet new peeps. We we are we're friendly little... We'll meet new people. <laughs> I don't fucking know anymore. Guaranteed to make you laugh. Yeah. Either at us or with us. We don't really care. We'll take it. We'll take either way. <laughs> so that's it for this week, kids. Uh, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Our glasses are empty. It's we need a, another we'll, one. We'll fill that shit up. <laughs> party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.